0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, everybody. How you doing? What is going on? Welcome to Talk About Flow podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Petch Moran. Thank you very much for locking in today. Coming up in just a couple minutes, I'm going to have my buddy Joe Miller from Buffalo Rumblings on, and we're going to talk some Buffalo Bills, make this a positive show, some bright spots. I know that's for fans out there right now. Maybe you're not quite ready to, uh, to dive into positivity when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. I get it. Trust me. I'm struggling. I know that as well. Before that, though, real quick, right at the top, before I uh, get into my conversation with Joe, I wanted to express my condolences to Miguel Rodriguez, uh, Miggy from the Buffalo News. Sadly, uh, we found out today that he passed away following an illness. Uh, I knew Miguel fairly well. He's been a, a high school sports reporter at the Buffalo News since 2003. Actually, he wasn't just a high school sports reporter. He did a lot of things there, but he's best known for his high school reporting. And he was damn good at it too, man. And I'll tell you, I spent many years on the high school beat when I had a, a couple of blogs, Buffalo Sports Daily, um, most notably. And I'll tell you, it's a tough gig, man. You have to be you have to be talented and you have to be able to think differently to to cover high school sports. You have to write with with more empathy. You have to frame questions a different way because these are kids that you're covering. They're not professionals. They're not, they're not not adults and you got to kind of talk to them a certain way to so that you can get good answers and that you could have more engaging conversations with them. And I'll tell you what, man, Miggy was, he was good, man. He was, he was damn good at, at what he did, man. And he loved it. He loved doing it. He was a good guy. And, uh, you know, many paid tribute to him when the news broke on Twitter on Monday, a lot of love from his, from his peers and from his colleagues and uh, you know, I just wanted to wish his family, nothing uh, but love for myself. So, you know, really shitty news. (laughs) It's tough to segue into my man, Joe Miller here, but you know, we we do what we got to do. Joe Miller, of course, is the host of about 20,000 different podcasts (laughs) on the Buffalo Rumley's podcast vidcast network jokes aside, man. One of my favorites, but seriously, I mean, you do during the season anyway, Four shows per week, man. So, you got the Overreaction Sports Podcast, following Bill's games typically on a mm-hmm. Sunday night. You have the uh, Off Tackle with John Fiena show, live, YouTube Monday nights. Uh, you have your Hump Day Hotline with you and your colleague and good buddy, Jay Spence, the king. Mm-hmm. Good mm-hmm. friend of mine, too, man. I like Jay. I, I love pulling his chain, too. Sometimes we uh, we go on Twitter, <laughs> but I love that dude. He's a great guy. And then Saturdays, Time to Shine, which is a really fun show and a different show because... You actually get fans the opportunity to be part of the show and, and right. talk and ask questions and, and discuss Bill's topics leading into that week's game. So a busy dude, man, a busy guy, yeah. man. What's going on? How you doing?
2: I'm great. So this is the first night of my break uh, and you filled the slot. <laughs>
1: I so. literally did. By the way, yeah, so the season ended. So the John Pena show is, uh, you know, it's on hiatus for right now with the season being done. So this right. is Joel Miller's first literally his first Monday off in quite a while and yep. Sure enough, I, Monday at morning I jumped on his uh, in his DMs. I said, "Yo, what are you doing tonight, man?" <laughs>
2: I signed off of the overreaction sports show cuz it's no longer a post-game show until the season starts and I was like, "I'm out for a couple months." And then here I am, truck right back. <laughs> truck me right back in. Uh, uh, no, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Um it's funny because before I started the season, uh, Bruce Nolan who Bruce manages the YouTube side. So Anthony Marino manages the podcast side of Buffalo Rumblings, and then Bruce manages the YouTube side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love both those guys. Uh, he said, four shows, Joe, that's a lot. And I was like, it's a lot. I was like, however, the only one that's a real burden is the is the post game show because I'm on solo. I've got a bunch of notes. Like I have to carry that whole show myself. It's very much a podcast more than a YouTube program. Uh, and I'm basically I said, you know, Saturday, the pregame show, writes itself people are going to call i'm going to do a short little blurb people are going to and then people are going to come on the show which as far as i know i'm the first person to do that so when i started doing the youtube stuff i was always told don't tweet out whatever you do the invitation to the show because people like jump in there so we didn't and then that one i was like why not why don't i just throw it out there for the world to see and uh it it was a great time and that show wrote itself the Phoenix show i mean come on I mean, all I got to do is lob softballs at Fina, right? And and basically be a fan, and Fina's going to knock them out of the park. And then the thing with Jay Spence is just natural. A lot like talking to you, it's just very natural. Jay Spence and I are just close, and it's like it's like sitting on the couch and talking to your best friend about football. So
1: there are conversations every Wednesday, yeah. And the fans basically. get involved, and it's fun,
2: right? Right. Exactly. So, yeah. But yeah, I am burnt out to to say that all that to say.
1: That was going to be my first question. You could say that (laughs) shows write themselves sometimes all you want. And, you know, going on live is is a different story, especially if fans are asking you questions and you're kind of just playing Q&A with them at different portions of some of your shows. But at the end of the day, and we've talked about this before, you know, off the air and privately, but I'll say it publicly. Like, that's a grind, dude. It's a grind. It's a commitment. You know, I do two of these (laughs) shows a week and. I'm like, oh, was going to a lot. Sometimes I might pull in that third too. And I'm like, mm. Yeah. And yeah. I do mine. And mine are different than yours too, because all right, like, let's just take this show right now. People are hopefully listening on Apple or Spotify on Tuesday right. morning. I'm taping this with you Monday night. I could right. be taping this with you Monday afternoon, Monday morning. Mm. If that's when your schedule works, it could be Sunday night, especially during the off season when things aren't quite as uh time sensitive. So right. I have the luxury of kind of working a schedule. Around my own time, and of course my guests. Whereas you, you know, you are on every you are on these nights at that time. Yeah, and, and fans have come to expect that. So you got to yeah. go on live. You got to you got to bring your A game because you got to be you know you're live. And it's just a it's a big commitment, man. Big props to Miss Miller, by the way.
2: <laughs> if I wasn't getting paid, and we don't get paid a lot. You know this. Right. Like we get paid, it's a hobby, a hobby that pays for itself a little bit. But uh, to be honest with you, the trap. And you'll get into this when you start doing live shows on YouTube. It's a drug. Yeah. Um, having live viewers on, when you see the number of how many people are watching. And, you know, last year with Fanatics, there were times in the shows, you know, I'm at 600 live viewers. You know, and we see Rico with, and, and even uh, Greg Thompson and uh, Aaron uh, AQ from, from Cover One. Mm-hmm. You know, now thousands of people, you know, 1,200 people watching them live. You know, with Rumblings, we're st- we started from the ground up. So when I got to Rumblings, there was 250 subscribers to the Rumblings YouTube channel. And it's now over, I think, 1,800 or 1,900. Yeah, and growing. Uh, yeah. And growing, right. And we get great watchbacks. So, you know, I'll get 1,000 views off of 1,800 subscribers where those guys are getting, you know, 3,000 views off of 20,000 subscribers. But all that to say this, even when there's 100 people watching or, or 150 or 200 people watching and, and you see those comments in the side section, just roll it. It's a drug. It literally is a drug and it, I mean, that's the, yeah, that's the, that's the part that draws you in that kind of keeps you going. But after a while, it's like, I just need a break.
1: I hear (laughs) you. Well, you'll get one, but not tonight. After (laughs) this, you'll get one. Before we start talking football, I mean, this is semi-related. Talk about the John Fina show for a second. Off tackle with John Fina. Now I've gotten to know John over the last year, not on the level that you guys, you know, you guys have become very close friends. You guys do a show together every week. You've spent time. Hanging out with each other, getting to know each other, stuff like that. I've always found found John Fina to be a very uh, charismatic and, oh, and yeah. interesting person. And if you don't know John, you know it could come off as this guy. He's really bold. You know, he doesn't need to know you well to be uh, outgoing. And I mm. mean that, uh, and I do mean that complimentary. I'm not sitting there insulting John Fina whatsoever. But he'll say what he wants to say. And he'll be very sarcastic. He just has a wit about him, you know, and I I really like it. He he keeps you on your toes. Let's put it that way. If you're having a conversation with John, whether it's at a bar and I did, you know, one time we all did a show together and we had beers afterwards and had some conversation with him. He keeps you on your toes. And also when you're doing a podcast, he keeps you, you know, this better than anyone because you're around with them every week. He'll keep you on your toes. A guy like that, who um, he wasn't an athlete, but Tim Graham is is a guy that I've had many podcast conversations and I've heard him on other shows. And if you're not on your a game, when you're talking to him that day, he'll rip you up, man. He'll he'll get at you. He'll get at you. If he senses you haven't done your homework and whatever, he'll get at you. John is sort of, I feel like John's kind of the same way. Like you, if you're going to talk about the offensive line, if you're going to talk about, you know, X's and O's, you better know what you're talking about because if you don't, he's going to kind of get after you. But anyway, that's not my point. My point is he's, a very personable guy. And I've, I've watched your show all season long. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Just talk about what it was like working with John this season. And, uh, you know, and and one other thing too, I mean, you and I are close to the same age. I got you by a little bit, but we grew up bills fans around the same era. And it's gotta be a nice, a nice thrill for you to be able to take one of these players, a really, really good player for a long time with the bills. And then, you know, 20, 25, what years later, you're doing a show with them every week. That's pretty cool, man. (laughs)
2: unexpected would be the word Uh, to give you kind of an understanding of John and who he is for the listeners um, to Pat's point. So there was one time in particular that we were taping a show and uh, we were doing the rock power report and John was in town. Um, I don't know if it was for the Washington football game or if it was before that, but we were, we were taping a show with Drew and with Chris and it was, it was just a good time. So we we were there and we're at O'Reilly's, which was fun. And there's a bunch of other bills, mafia and just kind of the, the normal, folks that we all hang out with and the market dominator was there and some, and some other folks and uh it's about 11 o'clock eleven thirty, eleven forty-five. now keep in mind i'm 48 i get up at 5 30 in the morning uh to go to the gym so i'm in bed asleep usually about 10 o'clock <laughs> so yeah. if i'm if i'm doing a podcast i'm in bed at 10 15 show ends i load it up get it on like the the server and then i'm like i'm going to bed like yeah. i Football games, Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football. If it's a good game, I'll stick around and watch it. But anyways, I'll to say this. We're driving. I'm driving him back to his hotel at 1130, 1130, 1145. His phone rings. So we're just talking. We're just talking. We're just blowing it up, right? We're on the Skyway, just to give you a kind of a point of reference. His phone rings. He answers the phone. And uh, within a couple seconds, I realized that it's Daryl Talley that he's talking to because Daryl Tally's in town as well. And he's like, hey Daryl, what's up? You know, and Daryl Tallies on this rooftop bar. And he's been waiting for us to show up. But getting John out of our O'Reilly's was just about impossible because there was Bill Mafia there. And <laughs> yeah. he was be- being John Fina. He yeah. was and I first of all, and I'm an introvert. John is an extrovert to the very tenth.
1: much, sure.
2: And and I'm an introvert. So I, it's not that I don't like people, I like people, and I'm I'm a high functioning introvert, but by and large, it's like okay, time to go to bed. Eleven forty-five. driving on the skyway, Daryl's talking to him and I hear John and I'm driving and I hear John say, well, I just took a five hour energy and I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> it's eleven forty-five. Yeah. <laughs> you just took a five hour energy. He's like, I guess Joe and I'll just go back to the bar and hang out and we'll just do this thing. And I'm like, um, um, <laughs> we go down. So we ended up going to vice, which is a great place. If you haven't been to vice yet, they got good food and it's just a cool environment. John's sitting there, we're talking, and we're literally just connecting on kind of a personal level and just having a good time. And there's a group of people next to us, probably 10 of them, that are having a birthday party for this girl. John gets up, walks over there, and like puts his arm around all of them. And he just becomes the life of the party in about yeah. a half second flat. He's showing, he always wears his AFC Championship ring. So he's got his AFC Championship ring on. He's taking it off, letting people wear it. It's just, John is just an unbelievable person as far as that goes socially. And then, just to finish the story he's also the guy that for that you know it was the Washington football game where he's like hey what are you doing for the game and i was like well i got to work late on sunday cuz i work on sundays I was like so i'm not going to be going i've got tickets obviously my you know split season tickets with my dad but my dad's taking my uncle so i'm not going he goes well i'm going to come over to your house and watch the game with you and i'm like uh what do you mean he goes i want to watch the game with you on your couch mm-hmm. i'm like uh okay yeah <laughs> like, if I can- Am I going to say no? I mean, sure, come on over. And that's the best part. So to wrap that story up and at the risk of going long, my wife comes home because we work, we were both uh, vocational ministers and we both work at Life Church Buffalo and she gets home late a lot of times after I do because she meets with more people than I do a lot of times afterwards. She walks in the door and she's expecting, she's heard John Fina on the phone. I've had her, I've had him on the phone with me, on my car, Bluetooth, you know, on the speaker, whatever. So she's heard me have conversations with him. She knows his name. She knows his voice, but she's never met him, never seen him. She walks in the house and, you know, she's expecting six foot four, six foot five, 400 pounds, right? Retired offensive lineman, former NFL offensive lineman, just gigantic dude. Instead, she walks into six foot five, slender, right? 32 inch, 34 inch waist italian blue eyes beautiful dark hair and she's like immediately when i saw him my heart was just like (laughs) (laughs) she's like i didn't know what to do she's like i was just like oh my gosh (laughs) like who is this man that's in my house so yeah so my my wife is smitten with john fina at this point but but which is which is a funny story but no doing the show with john is just it's what you see I don't. I don't pretend to be something I'm not. I think you can attest to that. The sure. people that know me that have met me now, like the members of the mafia that have met me, uh, you know, I am who I am, um, and John is who he is, and I think that's a big part of it. And and there's something about the connection between the two of us. And he does exactly what you said. So there's times that I'll make a comment on social media, and he'll question me. Like, so I'll say it was great to see the offensive line not run wide zone the whole game, and he'll and he'll re- respond, "Are you sure?" Question mark. I guess we'll find out which and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Is, is he seeing something I didn't see? Because I saw a bunch of guards and tackles running all over the place, which tells me that they were playing pin and pull. But there's something about his ability to break the game down in a very nuanced kind of fan fashion, coupled with my fan, Demonium, which I bring to him. Hey, as a fan, this is what I see. This is what I'm thinking. Respond to it. And he does, and he does a very good job. And I think the best part about all of it is we are making him a rabid fan of the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. So it's always been a profession for him. And he has become a full-on member of Bill's Mafia. He is, what's the word? He is just taken by this team and smitten by this team now. And he was before, but now it's he's a fan like the rest of us, which yeah, is a lot of
1: fun. And, and I'll say this too. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about his personality and stuff like that. But he does drop a lot of knowledge on the show too and it's it's a very and it's in a very consumable way you know where where the person who's listening can understand what he's talking about yes and look man at the end of the day people like you and i and a lot of us out there creating content i think we're damn good at it but Mm. at the same token when you have a player who's played at the highest level in the world played a man left tackle for a decade with the Buffalo Bills. Yep, when yep. he talks, you listen, because he's done it. He's lived it. He knows what that locker room's like. When he's, when you're talking about locker room meetings, when you're talking about relationships in the locker room, things mm-hmm. like that, he's lived it. And he can talk about it on a level that no one else can if you haven't yep. done it. So yep. anyway, it, it's a fun show. It's a good show, I man. Think, I enjoy it.
2: I think what also makes it special is every there's a lot of people out there that are doing really good breakdowns. Uh, when you think of the cover one guys just different people you know yards per pass and sure. he was doing his breakdowns and they're always doing breakdowns of the talent positions of the skill positions sure i think what draws people to that show as well is we're doing we're doing the trenches we're doing the defensive line and the offensive line which does not get talked about and primarily because it's easy to 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 be a student to go to the scouting academy and be a student of football and understand route concepts and things like that first reads and second reads it's different to understand what an offensive lineman's responsibility is or a defensive lineman. And John has that to your point, because he did it for 11 years. He has that, that ability to say, no, no, no. So when I see something, I'm like, that guy missed it. And John's like, no, he didn't. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. That guy missed it. And it's like, oh, so John just does a really good job. So I think what draws people to our show to wrap that up is that we're, we're, we're breaking down or he's breaking down, if you will, just things that aren't necessarily what other people are breaking down. He's doing kind of a unique thing. So it'll be interesting to see if other people start breaking down offensive line and defensive line stuff more next year, just because John does such a good job of it this year. So if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I'm already looking forward to, to next season. I want to, before we get into the bills and again, we're going to highlight what I think are are seven bright spots Mm -hmm. for this season. Not necessarily in order. Like I don't have these power rank, but there's seven bright spots and I'm sure there might be one or two that uh, you'll want to add to as well. But before that, all right, so we're not going to talk about last week. That's it's not, <laughs> it's not old news because the wound is still very, very fresh. And all of our you want me
2: to cry. You exactly. want me to cry? In this show, <laughs>
1: exactly. The wound is very fresh. So I don't want to say right, like right. it's old news. But I, what I did want to ask you, because I have a I guess I have a point to make on this, too, is. All right. So on Sunday, I watched. I didn't want to watch the game. I Mm. really didn't. I I watched most of the first three quarters. I would say sparingly. I did Mm. lock in in the fourth quarter, though. Oh, yeah. um, And I watched. But it was very obvious on Twitter, Bill's Twitter, I should say, that 95% of people were rooting for uh, the Chiefs to lose. It was personal Mm. to them. What happened last week, the 13 (laughs) seconds. um, Patrick Mahomes' ignorant-ass girlfriend or wife, whatever, Brittany, Brittany, the kid, the the idiot TikToker, all that. So there's a lot of personal reasons to hate the chiefs under completely understandable. They've their rival. I get it. Did you, were you, did you find yourself rooting for Cincinnati to win? Because I'm going to be honest with you, man, and this might not be very popular with bills fans, but I kind of wanted the chiefs to win wow
2: really yeah. so i uh yeah i was conflicted at first i have I a reason conflicted.
1: why i want to know what you, your take on and then i got one afterwards guys i have I a was, reason
2: i was conflicted at first because i wanted the chiefs to lose um there's always going to be the mystique of four straight super bowls uh which this would have been the chief's third straight Super mm-hmm. Bowl had they made it the patriots didn't even go to four straight right uh there was one recently that had they made it, it would have been their fourth straight you know, you're tying the Buffalo Bills and, you know, because only the Buffalo Bills, the Minnesota Vikings have ever gone to four straight Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Um, so inside of that, so, so there was there was an aspect of like all that stuff. I was at the game. I wanted to see the Chiefs lose Pat Mahomes, all that stuff, blah, 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 blah. But then the conflict for me was why do the Bengals deserve to go to the Super Bowl? Like, why do they deserve to go over us? So I was conflicted, but at the end, what won out for me was yes. I ended up rooting for the Bengals. I thought the game was over halftime. I was they were down by 18 points. I was like, this game's over. This game is absolutely yeah, yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the third quarter, I wasn't overly paying attention. I was watching it, but I, I think I may have napped. And then I woke up and I was like, oh, the Bengals scored. McKenna was like, yeah, they scored a couple minutes ago because McKenna was watching the game. <laughs> and then it, and then they turned it on and they basically got after Pat Mahomes and rushed him and covered downfield and did all. They didn't play scared which is what the Buffalo Bills did. The, the coaching staff played scared and got beat, whereas the Bengals, the 26th-ranked pass defense in the NFL, had nothing to lose, and they played like it. We yeah. have nothing to lose, so we're just going to play like we have nothing to lose. And guess what? They didn't leave their corners one-on-one with Tyreek Hill and drop their safeties 30 yards back, 35 yards back in coverage, and yeah. they get beat on an over for 65 yards. Yeah. So do we want to go there? (laughs) I got takes. I got takes for days, bro.
1: You do. You do. (laughs) I I want to say this. The reason why I I really wanted to see Kansas City win this game is. And and I want to be clear, too. I am not throwing shade at the Buffalo Bills organization, Mm -hmm. although I am very angry about the 13 seconds, as I have a right to be. And as you do, and as every Bills fan should have a right to be. They blew the game in the last 13 seconds. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. All right. We're not even here to debate that. We already know that. know, And and, and I'm not really, again, I'm not really necessarily disrespecting the Bills organization, but what have we been hearing now for the last couple of years? Trust the process, trust the process. And I've had shows where there's been conversations I liked for whatever reason and ends up becoming an NBA comparison. Like the Kansas City Chiefs were the Detroit Pistons and and the Bills were, you know, supposed to be the Chicago Bulls that, you know, finally got over that hump or, or are the, Buffalo Bills, the 1990s New York Knicks, who just could never beat the Chicago Bulls. They were a very good team, but they could never get over that hump. So when they, we're talking about this whole process thing. And granted, I they very welcome me. This is an anomaly. This doesn't happen often. But at the end of the day, you're talking Cincinnati Bengals right now, okay? The Bills, again, this, this program, getting a little bit better every year, taking steps towards becoming a championship team. This and that. The Cincinnati Bengals, Joe, bottom line is this. Last year, one year ago, four, mm. eleven, and one. They have mm. a rookie quarterback who tore his ACL and his MCL. This is his first full season in the NFL. And by the way, the year before that, they were two and fourteen. L- literally nine months ago, they had the fifth pick in the draft with a rookie, a guy going into his second year, coming off a torn ACL and MCL. Didn't know how he was going to be if he was going to be healthy enough to play, you know, at a hundred percent, and. They skipped all this process stuff, Joe. They skipped it all, man. They skipped it all. Because mm. in one year, they win their division. They go on the road or they win a home wildcard game. Then they go on the road. They knock off the number one seed. And then they go on the road and they knock off the number two seed. And literally in one year, they go from four and eleven to one mm. to being in the Super Bowl. Whereas for- the Bills, it's been a process. And again, that's typically the way teams are. They build themselves up, but the Cincinnati Bengals just kind of hit fast forward on that. I'm like, like to your point, they, it's a combination of, I feel like they didn't deserve it. They haven't suffered enough. <laughs> like we have, like the Buffalo Bills have. But again, they kind of shot that there to the moon. it you got to be this team that builds over the course of four or five years. They, they signed some key free agents. Hendrickson mm-hmm. was, a, was a great, I mean, they paid a lot for him, but we worth every him. damn penny. Worth every yeah. damn. Jamar Chase. Yeah, they nailed their fifth overall pick, and again, the
2: emergence emergence of T.J. Uzama sure. meant, me, meant a lot to that football team. Yeah. Um, they, they just yeah, hit I fast I, forward
1: on this whole rebuild and this whole uh process thing. They said, you know what, we're going lightning's going to strike right now, and we're going to the Super Bowl.
2: I think for me, I'm going to encapsulate it this way, and I, I don't I don't intend to nor try to disparage anybody. Um, and and I'm not. I'm not drawing conclusions either. For me, the whole thing comes down to coaching. Yeah. There's a big difference between coaching, not to lose coaching scared. And and, which I talked about a second ago and and coaching to win football games. And as much as Zach Taylor looked last year, like a coach who was lost in the NFL, like and did not belong. He has coached very well this year. And I would tell you, I, I talked about it on the overreaction show yesterday. I don't think there was a single loss this season for the Bills, which it was, what, six, right? Seven with the playoffs, seven against the Chiefs, where you could not potentially blame the loss on coaching from the Steelers game, the Titans game, obviously the Colts game. You know, I'm reminded of the Colts game, you know, Jonathan Taylor's crossing 200 yards rushing, and they asked Leslie Frazier the day after the game, did you ever consider going to a different defense? No, we never once considered moving out of our base nickel 4-2. Jonathan Taylor's destroying you. And you didn't one time think maybe we should put in another linebacker. And I just don't see the Bengals of having made the coaching errors that potentially that Sean McDermott and his crew is making. And I don't know necessarily who his coaches are versus the Bills coaches. I don't know Zach Taylor well enough to compare him to Sean McDermott. I love Sean McDermott. To me, he's the right guy for this community, for this football team. Uh, I'm a big leadership guru. You've watched my show a lot. You've listened to me. You know that about me. I read a lot of leadership books. That's mm-hmm. what I do my job. I develop leaders. Um, I'm passionate about it. So listening to Brian Dable's press conference today, he was coach-speaking McDermott coach-speak. He wasn't coach-speaking Nick Saban. He wasn't coach-speaking Bill Belichick. He was coach-speaking McDermott. That stuff matters and it carries. I think McDermott's the right. McDermott is the right guy for the job. I just think that there were some critical errors made at times And there were some misjudgments on players throughout the season to include McKenzie not being involved in the offense early, to include Ryan Bates, the first guy off the bench. We were told Ryan Bates is the first guy off the bench. And every time somebody got hurt, sick, or injured, Ryan Bates was not the first guy off the bench. And when they were forced to put him in the lineup, all of a sudden that offensive line was better than it's been in two years. And it's, it's like Bobby Johnson. We're getting word right now that Bobby Johnson might be headed to New York. He is. It's a done deal. For me, goodbye. Yeah. Because if you missed that, if you didn't have the ability to tell Brandon Bean, we might not want to trade that Wyatt Teller guy, right? If you're the guy that's telling Brandon or, or Sean McDermott that Brian Winters is ready to play football. If you're the guy telling Sean McDermott, no, 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 I can make something of Cody Ford. And meanwhile, Ryan Bates is on the bench. Yeah. To me, it's coaching. It's It's not the players. It's it's 100% to me laid at the feet. You lay all of it at the feet of Sean McDermott and his staff. That's that's where I'm at. And I love Sean. So if Sean, you're not listening, but if you are listening, I love you. And I don't want you to go anywhere ever. But the reason Zach Taylor is going to the Super Bowl and you're not, coaching, you, it's on you.
1: 0-6 and one-score games this year. That means something. Now, that's not to say every single game that they lost by one score is one hundred percent because of Sean McDermott? You could take the players deserve some accountability at least. You know that Jacksonville game, they couldn't block anyone to save their lives, and so we could go on and on and go but, through each game. But, but it was primarily day, why. Coaching. But at the end of the day, why? I was talking
2: with somebody about this today. That Jaguars game at the end of the day, why? If the team isn't ready to play, yeah, they weren't ready to play. Pittsburgh, it's too. The co- it's the coaches. If, if the team isn't ready to play, it's on you. Yeah. You're the leader. I agree. And, and and it goes and he'll and he'll say it. It starts with me. And I'm sick of that line. Well, it starts with me because Josh Allen chirps it now too. Well, it starts with me. No, Josh, your defense didn't play football
1: today. It doesn't start with you. I agree you know 100%, I mean? Joe. <laughs> yeah. You're preaching the choir here. I, yeah. I'll say this too. One last point. And then we'll get into some positive stuff, I promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You. But yeah, the shittiest yeah, sure. part, the shittiest part is this, is Sean McDermott sh- shouldn't have. I mean, look, man, you knew it was going to happen on Twitter, fire Sean McDermott. You're no, going to get, really get ready for an entire offseason. The worst narrative you're going to hear all offseason long is the Bills should have fired John McDermott and promoted mm-hmm. Brian Dable to head coach. You know it's coming. You know fans, not some fans, a very small percentage, but some of them are going to be saying that all offseason. But anyway, yeah. you're losing Dable. You're, I don't want to go ahead and say they've lost Ken Dorsey because we don't know that. But the, the thing is, uh, Leslie Frazier is getting a lot of criticism, and he's the one coach who's definitely not going to be going Shh. anywhere.
2: Should be, should yeah. be getting criticism.
1: Listen, it was fire. I don't know. Well, let me, let me walk that back a little bit. If he is the one who ultimately had final say in how they defended those last two plays, it's a fireable offense to me because you literally are the, if, if that's the case, and if it was Leslie Frazier, you are the reason why the bills are not, didn't play for an AFC championship. I don't want to go ahead and give them the W, but you, they're the reason why you weren't getting your season ended.
2: We We hear, we hear all the time and I and I did a pot on it and guys like uh real Chris Jenke will tell you about it like he brings it up all the time I did a I did a pot on continuity this team was the definition of continuity four years mm-hmm. head coach offensive coordinator defensive coordinator four year or three no three no four years it was four years because Sean's been here for five one year without without Josh four years continuity How does the message not get, and I know the special teams coordinator has not been here for four, but he's been here for three. How does the message not get to Tyler Bass to kick the ball to the two? Crazy. To make him feel that that kickoff. Crazy. Continuity is not a real thing. In my opinion, if if continuity, do the Bengals have continuity? They're in the Super Bowl, to your point. (laughs) Do the Bengals have continuity? No. The answer is no, Pat. They don't have continuity. The Bills (laughs) have continuity. They have continuously
1: stunk until this season that's just that's it's the it's the part that's just really hard to digest and again it's the
2: bills continuity in spades and they're yeah, still I mean, making coaching errors yeah it's unbelievable
1: but anyway all right so what here's what we're going to do we're going to take a quick break and right after that again seven bright spots it feels yeah, so disappointing but there are seven at least at least seven bright spots that if i want to add more. on if yeah. not more and uh we'll get back uh, right after this quick break All right. I'm back with Joe Miller. And again, I'm going to run down seven bright spots. Maybe you have something to add, but I want to get your take on each of these. These are seven bright spots that I've come up with. And again, not necessarily in order from one to seven, although I am going to save the best for last, but besides that. All right. So here's one of my bright spots for me anyway. I think the bills have something in a pair of rookies that they Mm. took. And I think they were pretty significant contributors right away in year one. Gregory Rizzo, of course, Mm -hmm, 30th mm -hmm. overall, first-round pick, and then Spencer Brown, who was drafted Mm -hmm. in the third round. I would say after the draft, the thought with Greg Rizzo was he didn't play last year because of COVID in his senior year at uh, the University of Miami, and he was regarded as a guy with a lot of skills, but a very uh, kind of wet behind the ears player, a raw player who was going to take some time to develop. And Spencer Brown, there was no expectation for him. I didn't hear of (laughs) any... Let's put it that way. Going in all summer long, we didn't hear any Spencer Brown talk about uh, him playing much at all, and it right, turns out right. he became a critical part of this offensive line by the what the halfway point of the season. I want to talk about Rizzo mainly, though, because Spencer Brown. Look, man, we we, we all saw it. You know, I I think mm-hmm. he's a he's going to be a very good right tackle. He yes. had some moments. He had some really good games. He had some some rough patches. I think Brandon Bean said during his season-ending press conference that he kind of felt like he hit a wall for a while. Spencer Mm -hmm. Brown as a rookie, and he did. But anyway, the best is yet to come with this kid for sure.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, Gregory Rizzo, I'll say this. He started out really good. I mean, Mm -hmm. again, I think he had like three sacks in his first five games. He had that interception against Kansas City, that very athletic interception um, with Mahomes. He he forced a fumble. But over the last 13 games, you want to talk about hitting a wall, the, the kid only had one sack. Now, Mm. in fairness to him, he's a well-rounded player. I think he's much better against the run than I initially thought he would be. I think he's already a pretty decent run defender. Kind of reminds me a little bit, in a way, of Shaq Lawson. In a way. A little bit. bit, Yeah. I think he's a good run defender. Sets the edge pretty well, and he can get after the quarterback. He's a steady guy. Now, again, this is not a full off-season podcast here, so we're not necessarily talking Mm. about what the Bills need to do at all these positions. I can make a case. Pretty compelling one that I think, and I know you feel the same way about this. I I think, in fact, using your own words, a a pass rusher who can create havoc, wreak havoc, wreak havoc. That should be their number one priority this offseason, and and I firmly believe Mm. that with all my heart, I do. But talk a little bit about Gregory Brazil. Your thoughts on him as a rookie? I thought he was for a rookie better than expected. Now that said, he's going to have to improve in year two and year three to become a really good NFL player. I think he's a decent NFL player right now. So he's got a long way to go. But talk about him, thoughts on him and thoughts on Spencer Brown as well.
2: Well, when he was taken, Greg Rousseau, uh, there there was an aspect of it at 30. We were like, Oh, that's the pick. The bills take a project. And then you convince yourself that we have the luxury of taking a project at number one at number 30, you know, our first pick in the, in the, in the NFL draft, and then he came on kind of hot which was great and there was a you know the expectation changed probably unfortunately for him because Bills Mafia expected him to do more than he did i can tell you this he's listed at 66 i've met the man he's bigger than 66 and if you look at him standing next to guys like Effie Obata who's 66 and uh there was a picture of him and Daryl Johnson before Daryl Johnson was traded to the, to the Carolina Panthers Daryl Johnson is also 6 foot 6 and Greg Rousseau is every bit of 68 every bit of 6 foot 8 big kid The question is, is can he continue to build? And all I can do is take, when it comes to Greg Rousseau and it comes to some of these younger guys, all I can do is take the words that I've heard from John Fina, which is they're going to have to develop more moves than what he calls the shake. So all of our defensive linemen seem to have one thing, which is the, and that's how John describes it. If you've watched the show, you've heard Mm -hmm. him talk about it. They're going to have to develop other moves. John talks all the time about how, by an offensive lineman's second step. So he would go you know, week in, week out, training camp, whatever, against Bruce Smith. And he said, by my second step, so bang, bang, Bruce Smith knew exactly what I was going to do and what he was going to do to beat me. And he said that for some reason, it seems like our defensive linemen, all of them for the most part, except for Ed Oliver, who is kind of coming into his own, which has been a very nice surprise this year. He said most of them, literally all they do is just kind of that shake. AJ does it. Jerry Hughes does it like they all there's there's no real development there. I don't know what the answer is. He's got the physical tools, he's got the physical skill set, he's clearly a freak athlete. He's played one year of college at the defensive end position and then has played, you know, in the NFL. Before that was he was a wide receiver or a defensive I think he was a wide receiver, right? I mean, the kid is just he's an athletic freak freak. He's super polite. He loves the game. He's exactly everything that you want. He was a luxury pick in my opinion. He was he was he was Josh Allen. In 2021, you know, taken on the defense, the Bills had the opportunity to to take a guy that in three years could be the best defensive lineman in football, and we're going to wait. The problem is, is they took the best potential defensive lineman in 2023, and they have to wait because they don't have a guy that can destroy opposing offenses. There's no guy. There's, there's, Trey White is the best defensive player on this football team. None of us are going to deny it. Matt Milano might be second, and then Ed Oliver third. There's nobody in the front seven where offensive coordinators are going. We got to worry about that guy. If we don't worry about that guy, he's going to destroy us and ruin our day. And the Bills rotate him at forty eight percent. So even if they had that guy, I have to question if we had picked up JJ Watt, if we dra- or if we traded for, you know. Ingram, or we traded for Von Miller. Is he going to play 47% of the snaps or is he going to play 75% of the snaps? I just, I'm getting off the topic of Greg Rousseau. I like Greg a lot. I think he's got a lot of potential. I think there's a lot of promise there. I don't think it's going to be enough. We're losing. So this offseason, right now, unrestricted free agents, Jerry Hughes, F.A. Obata, Vernon Butler, who can go? That's the guy. If you remember last year, I was like, I don't even know what number he wears. (laughs) You
1: remember? Yeah, I do. Re- I do remember that. <laughs>
2: that's uh, funny. Actually, actually, five of them, Harrison Phillips and then uh, and then uh, Justin Zimmer. And five Addison,
1: Addison's going to get his, con- his contract is going to be voided. So he's going to be a free agent as well.
2: Right. So Addison. So there's a bunch of guys, six. So That's six guys, six defensive linemen inside of this rotation that are, that are going to be gone. They're going to have to do something. Rousseau, I think, in year two is going to make a step of improvement. I think there's a lot of potential there and a lot to be excited about Rousseau. I mean, let's not forget that he made a play on Pat Mahomes that got E.J. Manuel benched, right? As a defensive end, he did what J.J. Watt did. He stuck his arm out, swatted a pass, caught it. J.J. Watt scored, but Gregory Russo didn't. But still, that was right. the pass. They got E.J. benched in Buffalo. Yeah. Like you can make that throw as a quarterback in the NFL. Well, Pat Mahomes did. <laughs> <laughs> he, Pat Mahomes.
1: I, I think Go there ahead. are 100, I was going to say, I agree with you, 150%. And we're complimenting him because I like him as well. But at the same token, I completely agree with you. He's going to have to get better. Like yeah. this, hopefully his four sacks and an interception. And again, pretty decent edge setting run play. Yes. This needs to be the floor. This this can't be nowhere near the ceiling and because of be. all the guys that they're losing. And I, I mean, we don't know what we have with Boogie Basham. he's, he's has right. shown flashes, but I can tell you this. And maybe maybe the the switch flips in year three, but I have not liked at all what I've seen from A.J. Epinesa in year two. I think he regressed. Early.
2: early. The first couple weeks, he was a man on fire. Yeah, well, he
1: wasn't. Wasn't for long. Yeah, if he could play Miami 16 times. I remember early in the season at Miami game, he, so, isn't yes. he the one who took two out with that yes. hit? Yes. Destroyed him. Yeah. Destroyed him. But he's, I don't know, man. It, He's, it's he, he's dirt not dirt playing and, well. Yeah, they they got to do dirt. something. They got to do something. And again, we're not really getting into an offseason program, so to speak, tonight. But yeah, yeah. to your then, point, you're right. You're, you're Spen- right about him.
2: And then Spencer Brown, to, you said it exactly right. I think there was some things that he showed in the first preseason game against Detroit where he made some mistakes. He got into another preseason game and quickly corrected them, which I think told them, oh, my gosh, like this kid can do what Josh Allen does. He can go away for a week, work on it and fix it. And then it was just an upward trend for him where he basically last year, Feliciano set kind of that emotional tone on the offensive line. This year it was Spencer Brown. And frankly, I want the guy that's six foot eight bigger than everybody else out there to be the guy that's setting the emotional tone for my offensive line. And he's athletic enough to get out and pull, which is what this offensive line does best. Don't let anybody tell you different. This offensive line is a pulling offensive line. That's who they are. Uh, they were at their best, even running the ball when they're pulling guards, pulling tackles, pulling the center, pulling guys around. But um, yeah, there's i I'm really excited for Spencer Brown. The, the the that 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 so that Dawkins Brown Morse piece for me is exciting. Knowing and and I want to see more of uh, of Ryan Bates, Ryan Rick Bates, and then obviously Daryl Williams is an unrestricted free agent. Or is he? No, he's not a free agent. There's just a big cap savings. Yeah, so yeah. If the Bills yep. bill let him go, they could save a bunch of money. I think that's a restructure waiting to happen. I don't think I don't think they're going to keep him at the number that he's at. I think there's a restructure coming. He'll probably stick around for a couple more years at a lesser number because he's no longer a right tackle. Um, but uh, Spencer Brown is a bright future in the NFL for sure.
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you what. And this is kind of leading into another bright spot is I think the Bills found an offensive line combination later in the season that worked. It changed that New England game, the second game, yep. the one on the road yep. where Eibacher went down and Deion Dawkins had COVID, so he didn't start the game. Ryan Bates was forced into the lineup at that point. When you talked about this earlier, he wasn't the first guy off the bench. Hell, he wasn't even the second guy off the bench. Right. But things changed when he came back or when he went into the lineup, I should say. Um, their last five games of the season, including the playoffs, 33, 29, 27, 47, and 26 points or 36 mm. points they scored in their last five games. Um, I, I'll tell you, I'm not saying it's not a, a priority anymore because we were talking about guard Everybody was talking about Gardner, how it's probably yep, yep. going to be the priority number one this offseason. I'm not saying it's not going to be addressed. I don't know, but I, I will say this. I feel better now having this conversation than I would have had with you maybe a month or so ago, five, six for weeks sure. ago, for sure. I yeah. like Bates. I think Bates can, I think Bates can, no, he's a restrictive free agent, by the way. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm they're sure gonna tend, they're yeah, going to tender him yeah, for sure. He, they're not letting his ass walk. No way. But anyway, I, I I think he could be a good guard. I like what I saw from him. Darrell Williams is much better at guard than tackle. Um, you, you mentioned his contract number. I have it in front of me right now. Where is it? Uh, $9.9 million cap hit scheduled for 2021. Yeah, that's not, yes. happening. They that's could, not happening. They could save $6.3 million if they cut him. I agree with you. I think they might look like they did last year, I believe, with Vernon Butler for sure. And I think it might have been yep. Addison as well. They kind of well, reworked yeah. the deal. I could see them going to him and saying, you know, we want you back, but we not at this number. And maybe mm-hmm. they could work something mm-hmm. out. And I think they're going to pick up a guard, whether it's free agency or, you know, maybe a, anywhere from like, say, a second to fifth round pick in the draft. Yep. But anyway, just as a whole, for me, a bright spot was the offensive line came together late in the season because it was very, you know, you go to that Colts game, you go to that, that Jacksonville game where they were under siege that whole game. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. they, they turned it around late in the season. That was a good bright spot for me.
2: But did they turn it around? Or did the coaching staff finally start game plan- planning and put him in a position to play the way that they play? I yeah. mean, it was it was clear. I, it, so I don't want to I don't want to say it was all the line. I don't want to say it was all the coaching. You know, obviously Devin Singletary became more decisive, right, around that Carolina game as well. He became more decisive in his cuts, more decisive mm-hmm. in his runs. He started falling forward. You know, one cut decisions. The the kid. It's unbe- The amount of times towards the end of the season. The Devin Singletary was out in space with a guy, and I'm yelling at the TV, make him miss, right? And he did. <laughs> like the dude could still make a guy miss in a phone booth. Devin Singletary has that shake you want. If that kid had speed, he'd be the best running back in the NFL. It's unbelievable. The switch went out for him.
1: It made, yeah, he, but, he
2: played but, a part for sure. So, so that coupled with, at some point in time, right after that Patriots Bucks loss, the coaching staff, in my opinion, were like. It's time to stop dicking around like the season is going down the drain. So let's stop doing what we want to do and do what we know we can do, which is pin and pull, right? And running Devin Singletary behind an offensive line that can pin and pull because Zach Moss is more of a wide zone running back, which was completely unsuccessful. So for me, that that offensive line cohesion, Ryan Bates was a big part of that because he solidified that left guard part, which is funny because he wasn't a guard. We were told he was a tackle that could play center. Yeah. So he was the backup center behind Mitch Morse. So therefore we can't play him because if Mitch Morse gets hurt, we're screwed because we don't have one have a center. And then he jumps in at guard. And John Fina will tell you that like jumping around left to right, different things, different positions is not easy. Like that's, it, it's almost impossible. And Ryan Bates walked in to left guard. And as soon as he took the first snap, it was like, oh, this offensive line can be good. Yeah. Right. And that's what we saw to finish the season. Yeah, he's yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see what they draft. I, I think Ryan Bates puts him in a position to not have to draw, draft a guard at 27 or wherever they're drafting. They're not going to have to draft a guard at 27. Will they draft a center is the question, whoever Mitch Morse's replacement is. I'll, that, I'll, that, that'll be interesting.
1: I'll say this much. The bright spot might be that it's not necessarily – it doesn't need to be an, an overhaul with this offensive line. After watching that Colts game, I'm like, dude, this offensive line sucks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But you go now into this offseason, your two tackle spots are solidified. Spencer Brown is definitely the right tackle. Dean Dawkins is definitely the left tackle. Ironically, I thought Mitch Morris, who I could consider his own bright spot this year because he was, well, he was hurt a lot last year. You know, he's had concussion problems. Wasn't really fully healthy. Got benched at one point. I mean, it wasn't official that he got benched, but he didn't start a game that we felt like he should have. Anyway, this year... He was solid. He was, he was, he was very good this year. So I'm good with him coming back for his last year of his contract. Yep. yep. And Bates conceivably could start going forward. So maybe you get one guard this offseason. season and you want to get better depth too, because Cody Ford is without question gone. Ike Bucker is a free agent. He's gone. I don't see him coming well, back.
2: Bucker's a free agent, but he's also going to be recovering from an Achilles injury, which sure. is the kiss of death for NFL players. Yeah. They don't recover well from Achilles right.
1: injuries. Yep. Exactly. So anyway, just the offensive line, not necessarily needing him to be overhauled this offseason season to me is a, as a, A bright spot. Another one, not necessarily a huge one in terms of stats, but Harrison Mm. Harrison Phillips to me is a guy who, first of all, we didn't know if he was even going to make this team this year. I mean, he was coming off. You want to talk about coming off a major injury? That's what he did. Yep. Coming in. Yep. Coming into this season. And, uh, you know, the stats are nothing to write home about. Who gives a shit, man? I mean, he doesn't play that kind of (laughs) position. His play was steady. He took over the starting job when Starla Tudelay was out multiple times this year. I'll I'll go this far, Joe. I'll, I'll say it. He's went from being a guy that I didn't know he was going to be on this team near the end of the year, or at the beginning of the year, I should say. Right now, he just might be their number one priority in unrestricted free agency. When you're talking about re-signing your own guys, he might be right there at the yeah. top of guys that you want to bring back.
2: I think Ryan Bates is one. Uh, Harrison Phillips is a short two, and only because I think what makes him 1a or 1b versus a 1a so ryan bates is going to get tendered and the bills are going to keep yeah him. that'll and be th- done yep and ryan wants to stay and so does harrison phillips harrison phillips wants to be in buffalo but i think what helps is he's not going to come at the price tag of a starletulale so starletulale right. is his cap number i think is 19 million dollars and they saved nothing by cutting him so starletulale is going to be on this football team in 2022 and i would expect that uh, harrison phillips will be as well with a modest contract that i think that he would enjoy having harrison is a humble dude and it's funny because we live in a different world now. Last year was the world where we, we, that we lived in where it's like guys don't take hometown discounts, and then one after the other, we saw them taking hometown discounts. and it's like, oh, maybe guys do take ho- hometown discounts. I think Harrison Ford, or Harrison Ford Harrison Phillips is one of those guys that that understands his value, knows what his value is, and the bills do too, and I think that we're going to I think he'll stay. I think he's a priority signing, like you said, and I don't think it's going to break the bank. Yeah, he won't time.
1: break the bank. Yeah. But I think he's a he, I think he's a guy that they very much want back now for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah, thought he played sure. well. Much better Agreed. than any stats would indicate.
2: He was coming on that game. He got hurt. That Bengals game. I was at that game. The Bengals game where he got hurt. Like he was that was what, week four, week three, week four, week five of that season, twenty twenty. And he was coming on big time. And then yeah, it was weird to see him this year struggle early. And almost like people talk about him not making the team. It's like, wait a second, how's this guy not gonna make I remember the
1: him being on a lot of cover. Justin yeah. Zimmer was going to make the team before him. I mean, they both ended up making the team, but I saw a lot of rejections where yeah. Harrison Phillips was not on the 53.
2: Yeah, I think Justin Zimmer makes, I think they bring Justin Zimmer back too. They've got to find a Havoc wreaker. They've got to find a guy that's just going to destroy offenses if you don't account for him. They've got to find that guy because it's just going to make Tredavious White, Poirier, and Hyde that much better. Huh. And to me, that justifies keeping Levi Wallace because Levi Wallace, to me, I like him. He's a good kid. He's shown that he can play football, but he cannot play with Tyreek Hill. He cannot play with the Chiefs. He can't. And if you're trying to beat the Chiefs, which we still are, you've got to have speed out there.
1: Yeah. I I agree for the most part. I'll say this about Levi Wallace. I I don't want to make one game his totality for 2021. I thought Levi Wallace was pretty good. He's not a CB1 though. No. And he got, you (laughs) know, when Trey White went down, Levi Wallace, um, he just he he held his own until he yep. played until he played Tyreek Hill. In fact, I would even venture to, I would give him an honorable mention as one of my top seven kind of bright spots. And I've said this many times on this podcast. A lot of people will say Levi Wallace is the weak link of the secondary, and that's true. But and I've said this many times. I think that's more because just the rest of the secondary is just so damn good. You know, these are all pro I mean, Pro Bowl secondaries all across the board literally across the board if you include teron johnson so he's got to be included
2: yeah so, as it, it should be sure tradavious white micah Hyde, jordan poyer uh and and tradavious white micah Hyde, jordan poyer and teron johnson yeah you got you go get a guy you draft a guy right yeah. you draft a guy at 27 which is where we got i think it's where we got tradavious white you yeah. get a guy that can play the other side so if that's where you go defensive back to me, that makes it because by and large, a lot of why the Bengals beat the Chiefs. I talk about it, pressure and coverage, coverage and pressure. It was primarily coverage because Mahomes had no place to throw the football, which allowed the coverage to get home. Whatever you got to do, go find another speed demon defensive back that can cover one of those guys and then get a Havoc wreaker in the front seven. I yeah. don't care if it's a linebacker. I don't care if it's a defensive end or a defensive tackle. Find somebody. They can make a play.
1: Yeah, Uh l- l- let me add one more thing, and I and I got to respond because you mentioned him. I I do have one bold prediction. uh Oh, I I do I don't think Star Lotulelei is going to be on this team next year. There's now, no way I- they can cut him. They can There's no they- way. They would eat a lot of money. They would sit nineteen million dollars. They-, they would they could restructure it in a way to post cut them June 1st. Now they would still eat a lot of dead cap space, but I think especially if they bring Harrison Phillips back. They need to get a, a, a to your point somebody who could wreck a game at defensive tackle. Be- besides yeah. that, Oliver, who we're going to talk about in a minute here, yeah, they need a second guy. And Harrison Phillips is steady, but he's not that guy. Starlo Touda is not that guy. And I, I just I feel like they're going to spend money on someone else. There's multiple reasons that I I feel like they're going to get rid of him. Just a prediction, think, man. We'll we'll see how it plays it's, out.
2: It's a it's a good prediction. I think the problem with that prediction is. Star looked completely different after he had COVID. Yeah. So COVID, and, COVID. And Brandon Bean talked to,
1: about that. Yeah. Very fair point. You're right.
2: Star La first game was against Miami. Second game of the season. And Miami was triple teaming him. Yeah. Triple teaming a defensive tackle that has four down linemen. And it, it, that's just, it just speaks to what they thought of star in that moment. I just, I think if he comes back healthy, I think that he's a big contributor. Now, obviously he's getting long in the tooth. He's not young. So, but neither Stefan Diggs and they're going to, they're going to give Stefan Diggs new money too. Yeah. To your point,
1: to to your point, Brandon Bean did specifically talk about star during his press conference and said he wasn't the same uh, after COVID. All right. I want to move on because another guy who I thought was a big bright spot this year and you were, and I've told this story before and I'm going to quickly tell it again because you were there (laughs) with
3: us
1: (laughs) when we did it. So we were at Mulberry over the summer. Joe was there. Nate Gary, Matt Perino, myself, and we were taping and talking, and the subject of Dawson Knox being a red flag, well, the tight end position as a whole being a red flag came up during the podcast taping, and Dawson just happened to be there at the restaurant sitting with his girlfriend eating dinner, like, what, not even 10 feet away from us, I just found that really ironic that we're sitting there saying this guy is a, a guy to be concerned about, but I'll tell you what, man, this was his breakthrough season, 49 catches, 587 yards, a team record, nine touchdowns in yep. the regular season, five catches for 89 yards and two touchdowns in the playoff ambushing of the New England Patriots. And he was inches away from having a third touchdown too. He became a, he became a legitimate asset to this offense Yeah. and going forward, I do think they're going to still address tight end and free agency well, or the to. draft. They're going to, but that's because Tommy Sweeney's just not, he's not that guy. Simple as that. it has got it's no indictment on Dawson Thanks. Knox. Dawson Knox has proved he's uh he's a starting tight end. He's TE1 in this program. Now they could go out and get a, a, another one too. Then they could play with two tight ends a lot, but he proved himself this year. He was much more consistent. I mean, he always, he flashed a lot of skills his first couple of years, but this year he kind mm-hmm. of, he was far more consistent. Big bright spot for me when it comes to the bills this year.
2: Yeah. So the Bills played the Patriots in the in the playoffs and it was a Saturday game. So I had the opportunity to do an extra show on Sunday and I just called it the after- aftermath because there was so much to talk about after that football game. Mm-hmm. And I did a things I think I think type segment, which I know somebody does that. I don't know who it is that does it. But Peter, King. A thing, Peter King does things I think I think. Right. And one of my comments, one of my things I think I think was that next year, Dawson Knox will push to be a top three top four tight end in the nfl like he will be pushing one of those guys that's in that top three out and he will be that top three top four tight end in the nfl like i agree with you 100 i think he i don't think he's reached his ceiling yet and i don't know that we found josh Allen's ceiling yet his ceiling might be the last four or five games of this year like that might be his ceiling like he might be he might be just he might be setting a new floor for himself and dawson knox is kind of in that same kind of space where we're not sure what what he's going to be yet but the potential is all there and man it's just so great it's so great to see these kids that just have great heart and great character humility and hunger for football and just a love for the game for this city and each other it's just it's so refreshing he's a good kid good good,
1: kid good young man yeah super good he deserves he deserves what he's getting he's worked very hard and his teammates love him too um
2: that's the one thing you, you can't say about this this brandon b to mcdermott they find good people yeah they I find agree. good people
1: i agree he's been yeah. again he's become along with devin Singletary, He's become a big asset to this yeah. offense where there were a lot of questions about him going into the season um another guy this might surprise some people it does not surprise me joe for all my bad takes and trust me i got more of them than i could count but me too. if i got one guy <laughs> One take that I've been on board with since day one is I think Gabriel Davis is Mm. an absolute stud in the making, and I've look. Everybody knows it now. Okay, we saw it. Eight catches, two hundred one yards, four touchdowns against the Chiefs. Just ridiculous. And he had uh, a touchdown catch against the Patriots. We saw against the Colts last year in the playoffs. Those hit four catches for eighty five yards, two huge catches, toe drags near the end of the first half that were huge in that game. This dude is a baller, and I said earlier in the season he's the next Mike Evans. All right, no, you know I might have been reaching a little bit, and I kind <laughs> of I took a beat I took a beating for that. But I'm talking about just the size. He's right, faster right. than he looks, like just like Mike Evans. Gabe Davis isn't like the straight line speed guy, Mm-mm. but he plays football fast, and yeah. you know he can't run routes. Ask some of those Kansas City DBs if he can run routes. That dude <laughs> guy who got his literally got his ankles broken. The guy can make yeah. tough con- contested catches. He gets behind you. He high points yep, yep. the ball. He can work the middle of the field. He can work the sideline. We've seen yep. it all with him already. And he's kind of just scratched the surface. I'm telling you right now, go out and spend your money on defensive end, defensive tackle. Maybe you want to get a guard. You could do a little something right, wide receiver. I'm not saying don't address the position, but don't you worry about who's going to be number two next to Stephon Diggs. That, right. you, that worry is over. I got a newsflash for you, man. It, it's Gabe Davis. This yeah. dude's a stud. I absolutely love this kid.
2: It's going to be interesting to see what the Buffalo Bills do at wide receiver because Emmanuel Sanders is going to retire, and at least that's I. So I kind of had an inside track on that scenario about six or seven weeks ago that he was going to retire. I know that there was comments out there that if he wins a Super Bowl, he might retire. I was pretty much told about seven weeks ago that he was going to retire at the end of the season. So he's pretty much gone. Beasley, you know, there's going to be a great cap savings if they let him go it'll be interesting to see if he wants to stay beasley just instagrammed uh uh back in america so he was back in texas so i don't think that he necessarily likes being in new york state a whole lot and i'll be honest with you i'll be the first person and you'll probably be the second to not blame him
1: (laughs) yeah look man that's a whole separate
3: topic and a whole different
1: podcast right there but yes man there's some fans who were uh yeah, they took yes. it a little bit we'll too just, far until, we'll until he makes leave, catches we'll just, during a game. But yeah, we'll just
2: leave, yeah right. We'll, we'll leave, it leave it at that, that. Exactly. We'll leave it at that. And then you know when you look at this team's makeup, Gabe Davis just brings a different element as it pertains to physicality. And the word that you're searching for is and I hate the the fact that the words sound the same. Verticality. And Bruce Nolan and I talked about verticality a while ago last year. Actually, you know, verticality isn't necessarily about speed. You don't have to be a blazer. To go deep, and Gabe Davis has proven it. I was in the stands in Kansas City when Josh Allen hitched his step and dropped dropped his shoulder and threw it out there to to Gabe Davis, who was wide open, had his dude beaten by seven yards, easy, easily seven yards on that whatever it was, sixty five or seventy yard pass uh, for for that touchdown that Josh Allen threw to him. Um, Gabe Davis is a machine, and I think what's more promising about that is the Bills offered a futures contract too. The guy who is, you know, he's a friend of mine, and I'm excited for him. But the guy that we've been told twice looks better than Gabe Davis in Season is Isaiah Hodgins. We don't even know what that kid has yet. He's been on the team, on the bench, on the practice squad, can't crack the roster because of who's there. And I'm the first person that's going to tell you that Isaiah McKenzie needs to be on the field. So I want to see Isaiah McKenzie before I see Isaiah Hodgins. But that door is wide open. So we're going to have two guys. Gabe Davis, Gabriel Davis, who's six foot two, and then Isaiah Hodgins, who's six foot three, another big, tall dude that so it's going to be. I think this offensive weapon situation as it pertains to to, to wide receivers is going to be go, is going to go from the Smurfs to the Giants pretty quick. Because Stefan Diggs is what, six one? I think Stefan Diggs is six one. I want to see Isaiah McKenzie back, so we're off topic now, but he's also an unrestricted free agent. Whatever the Bills got to do to keep him, they need to keep him.
1: Well, he's an honorable world. mention bright spot, by the way, because yeah, I yeah. thought well, he would. Segway. I planned being, that segue. <laughs> I know you did. He handled his benching very well, and he came back in a big yeah. way. And I and I think, you know, removing the personal aspects from this. And one, one other point I want to say about Gabe Davis, too. with say Devin it. Singletary and Dawson Knox, they were – I don't want to say they were shocks this year. I would say they were semi pleasant surprises because yeah. we've seen flashes from them to know that, Hey, these guys could be good players mm-hmm. and they are. And I think they will be both be good going forward. But I think right. Gabe Davis is going to be better. Like if you want to take those three and power rank, who do you think is going to become the, the best player? Gabe Davis for me is number one. I tell yeah. you now, I think this kid could be a thousand yard receiver. His, I, his I sideline
2: do. ability. His sideline ability is ridiculous. Yeah. off It's other world.
1: He's going to get better too. And he's, he's going, going to get be better. better. But back to, this leads to Isaiah McKenzie, if you remove the emotion from it, you remove the political views and, and takes yeah. and how you feel yeah. about Cole Beasley as a person, and you leave this just to the football, they're completely different receivers that offer yes. different things to the team. But if you can only have one back, like if you keep Beasley and you, that means you can't afford to spend money on a fifth wide receiver like Isaiah McKenzie, what, he, right. what another team might give him, you gotta do, if you got to do one or the other, I at this point would prefer they kept Isaiah McKenzie. And it's got nothing to do with how I feel about Cole Beasley as a person, as a human being. It's because I think he does things with the jet sweep and the motion and the speed that he has. It felt like defenses, you have to account for a lot more. I feel like at this age, Cole Beasley might be a little more easily replaceable than a guy like Isaiah McKenzie would be for this offense.
2: Yeah, there's something to be said for Cole Beasley for the last several years who has led the league in yards of separation as a wide receiver, which means he's the most open wide receiver in the NFL. For those that don't understand what that means. Colby Beasley, more than likely, if he's on the field, he's open. Mm-hmm. But Isaiah McKenzie, when he's in the when he's on the field, lined up somewhere, and as soon as he goes in motion, go back and watch any football game. When he goes in motion, all the linebackers tip forward. They're yeah. all making a step. What is he about to mm-hmm. do? Which to me brings a level that no other wide receiver on this offense does. Isaiah McKenzie just just the threat of whatever it is that he's about to do. Makes them nerve, makes the defense nervous, and that's where the Bills were at their best. They were, at- and and the funny part is like, the secondary at their best was 2020 when they started using Beasley underneath early one, two, three yard routes, four yard routes. And They were just destroying people because they didn't have a run game. So it's it's a t- it's a mixed bag of who you would prefer to keep. I agree with you. I think for me. Beasley's making, what, eight, nine million a year, seven million a year? I don't think McKenzie's going to command that money. No. They yeah, could, and they
1: could save a little over six. They could save a little over six million right. if they cut Beasley
3: too. So the
2: question is, is will he take it like a restructure? Will Beasley take a restructure to stay? I don't know. I think that a lot of what Cole Beasley said last year or the beginning of this year, when he said, I've made my money. I can walk away today. The only reason I'm playing is because I love the game. I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if Cole just walks away. If he's like, you know what? If he even
1: Esther for his release, that wouldn't shock me either. I think, I think he's got a, I think he's got some ill feelings towards uh, what he feels is is mistreatment from, from fans. I don't know about the organization. I've heard it's the, weird. I've I've heard that the players love him and, and that oh, yeah. he's got great relationships with the players. There wasn't this big rift. I mean, we saw Jerry Hughes and him disagree publicly, but there wasn't no rift between him and no. certain players on the team. It's more like I, I think. I think he's a little bitter with the that that some fans and he perceives them as, as booing them,
2: which is crazy because I've been in the games. It's bees, bees. It's crazy. Oh, I know. Yeah, it, I know. it'll be it, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I I wonder if he walks away from the game completely and, and it's and primarily over the COVID situation. I know for a fact. Uh, so insider information, he's racked up over a hundred thousand dollars in protocol fines this year and does not care. It's literally a middle finger to the NFL. Yeah, I don't right. believe in your protocols. I don't believe in your crap. He basically is living as much as a lot of people don't care for his opinions about the pandemic and how you feel. He's not just saying it. He's living it. He's racked up over a hundred thousand dollars in fines and is basically middle fingering the NFL. You know what? Come get your money. I don't even care because I don't believe in it. (laughs)
1: Let me ask you one quick question. Then I want to get to the last two and we won't deep dive into this. In fact, maybe this could be something you talk about on one of your shows and and you could deep dive into yourself, but yeah, all right, so you, if you're good with Cole Beasley being back and, you, mm-hmm. and you're and you good with them re-signing Isaiah McKenzie, and let's just say that Hodgkins does get a legitimate shot this year and you have Devin Singletary who proved himself, I think, and you have Dawson Knox who definitely proved himself yeah. a, as their tight end. So they go on and maybe they get a, a depth piece at tight end and maybe they think they can upgrade from Zach Moss or Matt Breida and they go on and they, and they draft another running back or they re-sign – a guy to play behind Devin Singletary. Essentially, what I'm asking you is this. The mm. offense is, for the most part, the same as it was this year. Are you good with that next year? That means they're not, again, if you're bringing back McKenzie and Beasley, you're not, you're not really doing anything at wide receiver then. Are you good with that? Do you think that's good enough?
2: I am good with it because of, if two things. Number one, I'm good with it if they don't try to force the, 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 the wide zone on this offensive line. I'm not saying that they can't run the zone once in a while but I, I don't want to see them commit to the wide zone and mess around with that. They are a pin and pull offensive line. We've known it coming into this year and they still tried to force it. And Devin Singletary is done a wide zone running back. So play pin and pull. It'll be interesting to see where Zach Moss falls, right? So does Zach Moss stay in this football team next year? Cause I'm not sure that he's a fit for the, for the pin and pull. And then the second part of that for me is going to be n- not running it on second and long. The Buffalo Bills led the league, I think, or were close, like number two in the league this year, on running the ball second and long. So we're trying to be more efficient. We're trying to be balanced. We're trying to run the ball more. And when they choose to run the ball, it's second and eight, second and nine, second and ten, almost more than any other team in the NFL. If they don't don't do those two things, 100% good with it. This offense, to me, was not the problem. If the defense makes a stop in the Kansas City Chiefs game, we're hosting the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. What did the defense not do? Make a stop.
1: <laughs> I could agree with you more, but one of the bright spots in the last two here is, he is, is. this man right here, Ed Oliver. To oh, me, yeah. he's he's becoming not just a good player; he's becoming a star. He had four sacks oh, this yeah. year, eighteen pressures, fourteen quarterback hits. Those are the numbers. Again, he's one of those guys where I think he plays better than what general stats will tell you. Yeah. Uh, look, look, it's a lock. He's going to get that fifty-year extension offered this offseason. That that's a lock. What I don't like about it. And this is not his fault. This is the one thing I truly hate about a Sean McDermott coach team and specifically his defense, assuming that he's the one making these decisions. 58% of the snaps. This guy is, for the first time in his career, he's playing like a legitimate top 10 pick. He's shown flashes, just like we talked about with Knox and Singletary. He's shown flashes, but he kind of, to me, he put it together this year. He was the lone consistent disruptive force in this defensive line. He's played like a top 10 pick for the first time in his career now and the kid's playing 68% of the snaps. I looked at the Look, Bengals, by the way. 58, 58, 58. 58. 58 yeah, yeah. My bad. I looked at the Bengals' snap count totals in the last two weeks in the playoffs. They're defensive. They're starting four, are playing like 75% of the snaps yep. and more. Now, yep. maybe that's a little bit high, and I know Sean likes to keep his guys fresh, but this guy's too good to be playing less than 60% of the snaps. Anyway, that's a complaint, but my overall sentiment is this guy's become a star for me.
2: Uh- I don't get it. The Buffalo Bills in 2020 had the highest paid defensive line and they underperformed. And we all thought and said that like, that's a luxury they're not going to be able to repeat. And they turn around and did it again. And they brought back nine defensive linemen, one of the highest paid groups in the league, 48% of the snaps and underperformed at some point in time. And this might be the year maybe because it's, they're tight on the cap stuff and they've got a lot of guys rolling. Six of them, six of them that are out there potentially going to be gone. I want to see more about Oliver. Bruce Smith never came off the field and had 200 sacks. Yeah. I, I don't know that they need. Hendrickson there were times on the on the in that game against the Chiefs on Sunday where Hendrickson looked like you've I'm sure you've played sports or done exercises to some aspect to where you felt like you were going to throw up. You were so exhausted and gassed that you were going to throw up. That's what Hendrickson looked like. I do that walking
1: to the fridge sometimes, man, but yeah.
2: He was heaving so bad it looked like he was about to puke. That he, like he was nauseous from being so out
1: of breath, still making plays,
2: still making plays. Yeah. Let him
1: play. Yes. He, he, Let he, him play. He's, he's, he's a top 10 pick and he's playing like a top 10 pick. And again, I'm going to have you on several times, I'm sure throughout the off season. So we could <laughs> dive into these kind of things, like what they should be doing, but sure, sure. you know, the focus is bright spots and, and, at Oliver love it absolutely is one of them. And of course this brings us to, to, to me anyway, far away, the biggest, the biggest, mm. bright spot. Forget the numbers. I mean, we could throw them out and they're pretty similar. The biggest thing for me is Josh Allen proved to me that his MVP-worthy campaign in 2020 uh, was no fluke. He was every bit as good as he was last year and in some ways better. And again, Joe, you and I, with much respect to a lot of these podcasters out there, okay? You and I, I don't want to make us feel too old, but we've been watching the Buffalo Bills longer than most of these guys were putting out. Some excellent Bills content, by the way, out there. And I'm gonna tell you this right now. I've I'm a I'm a football guy. I've been a football fan pretty much my whole life. Forget just the Bills. Period. I have never in my life seen a quarterback play better over two games. Mm. Money games, when it matters, everything is on the line than what I just seen from Josh Allen in these playoffs. Never in my life. I don't care if it's Marino or Joe Montana, Steve Young. I've never seen back-to-back dominant performances mm. like I've seen from Josh Allen against the New England Patriots, which was literal perfection that game, seven drives, yep. seven touchdowns. And what he did, and as good as that was, and that was, again, literally perfect scoring-wise, seven for seven, what he did against the Chiefs in the fourth quarter was even more impressive to me mm. because that was, no matter what, if you miss a block, if if you run the wrong route, I got to do it myself. I am not going to allow this my team to lose this football game. That fourth and four conversion he had where he made Clark miss him, uh, and to Melvin Ingram, Yep, it was one of the best plays I've ever seen. And only when he needed four, and I think he got five yards. It's not like it was his game-breaking play, but it was just the most determined quarterback run that I've ever seen in my life. Some of the throws he made. Oh Everything under pressure, under duress with the, the, the world on, you know, the weight of the world on his shoulders. He knows how yep, bad yep. this city wants this. And he came out twice on those last two drives and just played lights out. Like I've never seen before, man. He is, it's tough to call some, you know, the guy gets $258 million. He finishes second in, in the MVP voting last year. You're like, how's this dude living up to this? He's got to be somewhat overrated. There's nothing about Josh (laughs) Allen that is overrated. He is literally every single bit as good as we hoped he could be. And I'll say one last thing, too. Patrick Mahomes, I wouldn't trade him for any quarterback in the NFL. Josh Allen, if I have him, I wouldn't trade him for any quarterback in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two guys you could say that about. Any other guy, you're like, I'm trading that dude for Josh Allen. Right. Or vice versa. He's become <laughs> right. if, if Patrick Mahomes right. is one a and, you know, Sunday's bad second half, notwithstanding, he's still Patrick Mahomes. It still has to count. It's it does count. It does count. When
2: Patrick Mahomes, when Pat Mahomes throws the ball into the dirt and is errant on a pass. The announcer's like, oh, that Mahomes, back to pass, throws the ball away. When wh- Josh Allen horrible. throws the same pass, it's like, oh, he was terribly inaccurate Oh, yeah, on that yeah, pass. yeah,
1: yeah. He's still, they don't get treated the same. <laughs> There's no doubt. If what I'm Brandon trouble? Bean, if I'm Brandon Bean and the Kansas City Chiefs call me and say, I'll trade you Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, I'm saying no. If I'm, I'm, I'm no. Whoever, the, whoever the Chiefs are, if they're saying, I don't even know who their GM is, but it's probably, Andy Reid's probably making the decisions. Right, I wouldn't right, trade right. Mahomes. But anyway, those two guys are 1A and 1B to me. Yeah. So Josh Allen, even though he's not, gonna finish top two in mvp they didn't make a pro bowl which is funny to me yeah. well
2: they, he, they want him now they want him now yeah, nah, and, and he's, he's playing he, golf. He gave in the middle finger he gave in the middle yeah, finger he's playing he's, playing he's
1: playing in the pga uh the pro program this week good for him right. on the tour but anyway right my point is this dude josh allen is every single bit as good as we hoped he would be 2021 indeed. no fluke he was just as good this year
2: indeed yeah i don't i don't I, i'm gonna leave it everything you said Plus one. I mean, for me, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell people what I tell people on my show all the time. And you will understand this, you know, we lived through the age of Jim Kelly, and I loved Jim Kelly with all of my heart. He is still by far and away, probably my favorite Buffalo Bill ever. There was just something about watching Jim Kelly play quarterback that was beautiful. And I took it for granted. I thought it would last forever. And my message to Bill's fans to Bill's mafia around the world, anybody that can hear my voice, especially if you're younger. Enjoy every minute yeah. of this kid playing football, every touchdown, every run, every fumble, every interception. Because we lived through arguing over Losman, Lostman, and Trent Edwards. We we watched, we, we clamored for guys like Craig Null. Matt Leinert was a member of this football team. You know, Orton was a member of this team. Like, as much as Fitz was fun to watch at times, none of them are Josh Allen. Savor every Single, record the games and watch them back because I don't know how you feel when I see Jim Kelly highlights. Like it takes me back to my childhood. Sure, and I just remember. I remember it being over like that. It was just like all of a sudden there was a ni- nineteen ninety six. We got beat at home against the Jaguars. Jim Kelly gets carted off the field. That was and he's it. Crying at crying at the podium. I'm done. And it's like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're done? How could you be done? Yeah. And that day is going to come quickly. Ten years down the road, twelve years down the road for Josh Allen. Savor every minute. I agree every minute
1: of it. Let me say this too. one last thing. He's got to do it for an extended period of time. It's been two years now. I mean, he's been good for three, but he's been elite for two. Sure. All right. Sure. He's got to do it for longer, but he's on his way to becoming the best Buffalo bill I've ever seen. He, I think, he's probably, it's he's tough because there. Bruce Smith is the second best defensive end in the history of the NFL. Correct. You know what I mean? So maybe number one, maybe number one, maybe number one. Sure. Maybe number one, but he is josh allen is just special and Mm -hmm. if and you said this earlier if he hasn't hit if he could play even better than this if he plays (laughs) as good as he did in the playoffs he's literally going to be unstoppable and now he's got a chip on his shoulder too by the way right yeah he's hurt he's hurting right now yeah he is hurting because he he knows he did everything he could possibly do Mm -hmm. but uh Did I forget anybody? I think we pretty much covered everything. No, this
2: has been great. This has been a lot of fun. This has been very therapeutic for me. This was a great show. Tomorrow's going to be a better day for me. (laughs) (laughs)
1: All right, man. I do. I appreciate you. You know that, man. Give Joe a follow on Twitter at Joe Miller Wired. Check out what what shows you still got going on during the offseason.
2: None. Uh, So the overreaction show will come back in April. Uh, Not sure about uh, when. So Humpty Hotline's coming back. Just don't know when. And then uh, the Phoenix show will come back around draft, free agency, league stuff, OTAs, minicamp stuff like that. So, but uh, the overreaction show will come back in April. All
1: right, man, I appreciate you. You know, I love having you on the podcast. It's been a while. Sorry to, uh, you know, you you thought you were going to have this Monday off, but (laughs) sorry, next Monday you'll have off.
2: Man, where would you rather be than right here, right now?